Okay. Well, welcome back, folks. We've got another episode of Ponzu Talk. And uh, with me today, I've got Rita Minacci, who leads analyst relations for Tomzu, and Derek Harris, who you may know and, and love from the Cloud Native in 15 Minutes podcast or the Intersect uh, blog on tomzu.vmware.com. Derek, Rita, you want to say hello? Sure. Hi, Hi gang. Yeah, Rita's definitely been on the, this podcast before, sometimes just uh, getting us up to speed on, on what's been going on with the analyst community and today we sort of have a, kind of a, a way of summarizing and, and recapping a little bit of some of the content that is currently available on the tanzu.vmware.com content library. If you go there, there's a couple of Gartner reports that we currently have distribution uh, rights to, and so it's you know somewhat limited time. But if you go on. It's a, it's a great way to get access to some of the research from some folks, some of the analysts who are out there talking to a lot of different organizations and sort of identifying some patterns in what they're noticing across both the technology landscape as well as what is driving change inside enterprises. So what, uh, what the three of us decided to do is sort of divide and conquer a little bit and each uh, dig into one of these reports and uh, now we can actually, we're going to educate each other and any of our listeners here on what kind of takeaways did we find from our, our different readings. So um, let's see, who wants to go first? I'll go first and then, um, and then we can go from there. You know, mine definitely, the report that I chose to, to read and kind of um, and discuss is uh, from Forrester. It's written by Charlie Betts. He's also on Twitter if you want to follow him. Uh, he's been covering DevOps and the like for a long time. He was one of the reviewers on the Phoenix Projects. Uh, and the title is Top 10 Trends That Will Shape Modern Infrastructure and Operations in 2020. Well, so, who doesn't love a, a top 10 list? I mean, this is like the, <laughs> exactly. the buzzfeed of Gartner. Yeah, I got to be honest, like 10 was a lot in this case. I was like, oh my goodness. I mean, but there were definitely, there. I mean, there were there were definitely some areas where I got a little bit lost. Um, but the things that stuck out for me um, that I think were also probably coming through in some of, the, some of your reports are uh, that um, uh, process, how we think about process changes, um, how I know folks need to think about collaboration has changed and the need for automation, right? How automation is going to change their, their jobs mm. and their roles. Uh, and one of the things that it talks about here, and it's kind of this elephant in the room thing, it's like, okay, so with all this automation and things changing, what is the role of INO, right? Is it becoming uh, unnecessary if you think of things like pro in terms of product teams and the like? And the, the point he makes is that no, it's just now you have denser work, right? It's not as much work, but the work you're doing is denser, perhaps more strategic, more value add, and more aligned to the business. And I've also heard this from from other analysts. You know, there was one analyst who talked about how he automated himself out of a job when he was at a big financial firm. And I said, Oh my God, what did you do? And he said, I worked on more strategic things. So yeah. uh, finding that and finding a path to do that, you know, and this kind of gives you some ideas, I think, and finding how you can take all the skills you have, all the, the learnings that you've had as an INO pro, understanding the systems and, um, and really uh, bringing that to, to, the, to the table, if you will, or to the party. Yeah, I mean, that's, uh, that's cool that he's, he's calling out the elephant in the room. 
for for what it is because I think that that's one of those unspoken things that sometimes comes up when when folks are looking at a lot of the cloud native uh, technologies and people get really married to their process whether it's conscious or not but they just they start to focus in on well it's like this is the way we've always done things and whether it's because they that process allows them to feel safe in the face of uh, past experiences without that process where things were insecure or uh, they went down or they were out of compliance and those experiences feel pretty yucky. Um, yep. And so, okay, now we have this process and then everyone gets really invested in the process and mm-hmm. they're not always willing to, to revisit it. I know I'm kind of blending um, your first point a little bit, but I feel like automation and process are like two sides of the same coin. Yeah. It's interesting. I mean, he, he, he goes into this whole kind of vicious cycle right, of, of, of process and productivity, right? Um, and he quotes uh, uh, Jeff Bezos in it as well, where he says, good process serves you so you can serve customers. But if you're not watchful, the process can become the thing. Um, yeah. And that can happen easily in large organizations. You know, he has, again, this vicious cycle of like, okay, you're not showing your productivity, so let's add more process, which detracts from your productivity. It's got a little visual there too. The process vicious cycle, it's called. Oh, yeah. Who doesn't love a visual of, of a vicious cycle? <laughs> I'm expecting like there will be dragons and maybe actual or a squ- dragons. Or a squiger. Or a squiger. Isn't this supposed to be a yeah. virtuous cycle or a flywheel? This is the, <laughs> this one goes counterclockwise. <laughs> yeah, well, except if you're in the southern hemisphere, then the virtuous cycle goes clockwise and the vicious cycle goes counterclockwise or something like that. Yeah. So our, our friends down under sometimes experience things a little differently. <laughs> oh, where was I? Um, you distracted me with the squiger. Squiger, I feel like, does beg a little bit of explanation because we we all just recently got exposed to this concept of a, of a hybrid animal, of a squirrel, tiger. Uh, combination, really a beautiful creature that exists only in, um, you know, Photoshop. But uh, <laughs> you know, if you can imagine like the the tenacity of a of a squirrel and the the, the power of a tiger, that's that's a fearsome beast, um, even if in a small package. So yeah, like you know what what that reminds me of, kind of the idea that that Bezos quote about process becoming the thing. It reminds me, you know, about uh, maybe nine months ago or so we had Len Hardy from uh, Northern Trust on, on the, on the podcast for, for listeners who may remember that one. And he, he really talked about unwinding the folklore. This was particularly around compliance and like having to revisit how, you know, the highly regulated organization, they were in compliance as they were deploying to, uh, new platforms, um, preparing to move more workloads into the cloud, but also really just seeking, you know, that automation um, uh, experience, right, so that, that they could get to production faster. But so many of the blockers along the way, you know, were sort of held up by this notion of like, well, this is how we stay compliant. And if we don't do this, then we're not compliant. It's like, well, actually, you can just find another way to be compliant. Like being compliant is really just, you have to understand the underlying regulation. So um, that comes up a lot. And I think a lot of people, um, it takes it takes some fortitude to, to 
bear down those processes, particularly when there's kind of the, the gravitas of things like the compliance and security, um, where it, it, yes, we of course want the same goals, but we can approach this differently and we can change our process. And then the other thing that reminds me of was a couple of weeks ago, um, we had Neville George of Comcast on the podcast. And I really like this, this concept that he talked about where um, it, it challenged, I think, a notion that we have about how processes change um, and really brought to, to light the, the role and the power of the individual to be willing to work uh, differently. And that, you know, process change sometimes gets associated with, you know, we brought in some consultant and they analyzed everything and they made recommendations. And then we had a, you know, the whole process takes 18 months from analysis to rollout and it's all very top down driven. And, and he pointed out how there's also just a lot that individuals can do when they're just willing to, to reach out across the aisle um, to teammates across different silos. And then they're able to actually change the way things get done because they've taken the time to understand what a counterpart is trying to accomplish. And that sort of grassroots approach um, I think it's been really powerful uh, for for some of certainly our our customers who've been able to accomplish a lot of change. So yeah, really like that that connection between process and automation to me is is really interesting, and it's it's interesting that both of those are covered in this top ten report. And you know, and we can probably I'm sure we'll get into this a little bit more later. There are at least, I mean, the concept of product thinking and product teams is in there in two different, mm. uh, two different trends. So that's something I definitely want to uh, make sure we discuss because that's uh, really important. And it's a core tenant of a lot of the stuff that, that we espouse, um, you know, in Pivotal Labs. Yeah. So. Well, I mean, and that, that's actually an interesting segue um, into the, to the report that I was looking at. Um, but, you know, I want to, make sure Derek has a chance to chime in on the, the process and automation question. And then, yeah, let's hear more about the, the product mindset stuff. Process and automation question. You, that's right in my sweet spot domain. Uh, I, <laughs> 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 I, guess, I mean, I mean and, and, yeah, I mean, and I think this is just I, process to me. It's one of those things where, like you mentioned, and I think you're referring to Len Hardy, but, like, like you have to understand the rationale. I think it's important to understand the rationale, the reason that the process exists and then figure yeah, like you said, figure out a different way to be compliant because it's not, it's, it's never like these things are set in stone or, you know, if a process has been in place for a decade, there's probably, probably the reason that that process was originally in place has, has evolved as well. And, and the idea that you see or hear this about moving to the cloud, for example, it's the cloud's insecure because, you know, our, our, the, the compliance requires our data centers to be, well, you know, whatever the rules are, wherever you know, stuff had to be located, right? But stuff changes and then the world yeah. moves around you. And the idea that, you know, you're, you're, that you could not be compliant operating in the cloud has, you know, been, and sometimes sure, maybe take some legislation and that's sort of, if you're a big company, you, you can push with some stuff, but like, or regulations changing, but like there are things happening around you that you have influence over that. Yeah, the idea that I mean, getting stuck in a process because it's there is, is probably mm -hmm. historically a, a very foolish way of going about things. 
Yeah, I, I like that point you've made about understanding why the process is there. And, you know, no one's saying process isn't necessary. In fact, you know, it's a, as, as Charlie puts it, it's a, it's, it's a powerful tool that you can use to empower people or uh, it can lead to uh, overmanaging or, uh, you know, complicating things. Right. And I, I imagine that um, a process that allows empowerment is one like he talks at some point in the report about change management, right, and getting rid of change management management boards. And that would mean you'd have to have a process to allow teams to make changes themselves. So they are automated. They can automate the, either automate the process or they're empowered to make those changes and not have to go to this change board and all that stuff. So, And I think that in order to introduce automation, you do need to define processes. Because that, that is, if you don't have a process, you don't have anything to automate. Everything is ad hoc. <laughs> exactly. It's only when things start to become repeatable that you can introduce automation. And so the repeatability of a process is exactly what's looking for to automate. But I think that the challenge is then also you need to be willing to revisit processes. And as people are trying to introduce automation, that's where they run in, at least in my experiences, they're running into friction because the current process doesn't really allow for automation. It's not it's designed in a very, you know, uh, analog world like i mean if you go back not too long ago or certainly in in plenty of uh organizations government entities today right the process involves paperwork right and it's so it's a perfect example of where it doesn't lend itself to automation because it's literally the dmv has a form right but if you start to understand to derek's point why do we have these things why do we need to capture this information now can we start to digitize and then automate, et cetera. But um, even processes that, that aren't paper-based, right, can still be very manual. If it's like a, a certain, like there needs to be a change board review or certain people need to sign off. And, you know, the classic example is, you know, listening to, to Kyle Campos, uh, uh, you know, over at Smarsh, talking about how when he went back and, and actually interviewed all the people who were on the review chain, a bunch of them were like, yeah, I, I don't know. I just, I get these things and I, I, I click this button. They were, they were approving things. They were part of this chain, but they weren't really adding any value. Um, it was just part of the process. So a classic example of like, maybe this process should be revisited. All right, let's, let's switch over to uh, the, uh, the, the product thinking point that's in this INO trends piece. And then I'll jump off from there because that, that dovetails really well with the, the, mm-hmm. the report that I looked at. Yeah. I mean, it's all the rage, right? Product thinking is a new black. <laughs> um, I mean, uh, the I first time I heard it, yeah. the case, but I feel like it's, it's, it's still too niche, but maybe I'm wrong. I don't know. Um, I will say that I, the first time I heard of this concept, I loved it <laughs> so much because it gives life to the platform, if you will, right? Because you think about platform teams. And, and it, again, I think it speaks to people feeling more connected to the work that they're doing. So I'm getting a little, I know I'm getting a little wishy-washy, maybe a little touchy-feely here, but um, I know there's more to it than just, you know, really recognizing your platform as a product mm. and such. Yeah. It requires care and feeding and managing and iterating. And I mean, if you think of it, if you think of it as a, as a product, you're going to be constantly improving it. Right, because you don't just do a product and throw it open and be like, okay, now it's it and this is it forever. Right, you're gonna, you know, make it better, um, either make it more performant or add more features or whatever, more secure, whatever it is. So, 
I love that idea. Um, and then I think, you know, that also lends itself to the notion that, you know, of, of developers being your customers uh, in turn, from an internal perspective. I just think about um, conversations with, with um, Brendan A from T-Mobile and he's like, oh yeah, our customers. And like, clarify that, right? He kept using the term customers, meaning they're developers. And I just, I really liked that. I love this idea. Pride is a powerful motivator. I mean, anyone who's uh, had to deal with, you know, small children, get them motivated to get themselves dressed and do their homework and, you know, get potty trained or whatever, whatever milestone you want to pick. Like so much of that tapping into, you know, that individual sense of, of pride is, uh, is a really powerful way for them to, uh, take on and, and push themselves to the next level. But also, you know, when you're looking at a team and how they're structured, like, yeah, let people have a sense of pride in their, their work and having that product mindset gives people, I think that opportunity and is, it seems like a really powerful motivator. And I think it also just taps into that, that entrepreneurial spirit that many people have you know, even if they never packed their bags and went to Silicon Valley uh, to play that, you know, play that game, um, you know, those folks are are all over the place. And and when you can tap into that, then that's like you really bring out a lot of the best in people. Mm-hmm. So that was yeah. just to I'll I'll jump off there. Well, you know, Derek, feel free to chime in. Um, disagree, uh, but that's. I, I I don't think that we're really at the point yet where the, the product thinking is the new black. I, I feel like we, we still have a long slog before folks have really internalized that and it's mainstream. That's true. I know. I think product thinking is the thing that's been down the Paris and Milan runway. Can I make a f- maybe off reference, <laughs> like not exactly <laughs> accurate fashion reference? And... <laughs> So that's very good, actually. There, it's a, so people on the cutting edge are aware of organizations <laughs> on the cutting edge, but for everyone else, it's it's very. I, I hear it, I hear it thrown around. And it took me about ten references internally to finally start to wrap my head around it. But like a lot of things that I hear internally, and then when you try to apply them, when when you look for them in the outside world, you're just not seeing it as frequently. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, as as like you know, I've been working in product marketing, which is actually pretty aligned to that thinking and so it was easy to get but I also have to remember that like I'm already in some ways doing that job so uh it's it's easier for me and you know I don't know I'm uh I'm already a subscriber to the women's wear daily if uh, if I'm going to bring you back to the Paris and Milan runway reference I'm trying Derek (laughs) I'm trying. Those are like, You'll never keep up. Don't I, I read The Devil Wears Prada like 15 years ago on a beach. And that's what I learned <laughs> is that the people who are really in fashion read Women's Wear Daily to know okay. what's going to what's gonna be showing up in the magazine six months later. So, yeah, clearly a, yeah. a lot of deep learning from that. Mm-hmm. Um, I was going to say one of the things that he he that they're talked about in this report that I saw come up in both of the reports that you uh, you folks have uh, took on is like kind of the makeup of a product team, like what you might you have to, you know somebody from dev, somebody from line of business, you know somebody from security, um, and again the the c word collaboration in this case uh, comes up a lot uh, in all three yeah. reports I believe so and in literally well, every 
every discussion you have with anyone yeah, who's yeah. thinking about, uh, yeah. I mean, realistically, I, I think anyone who's working in the, let's call it the cloud native world broadly is, I mean, I, I had uh, Guy Pajarni, uh, the, the co-founder of Sneak uh, on, on my podcast a while ago. And we talked about it like on the security front and it was just a matter of things are changing so fast and then open between open source and cloud services and, and the, the, you know, the, ephemeral nature of containers and all these things like all security processes need to be he was like security processes need to be readjusted it's security can't be a, a hindrance anymore yeah it has to be like you, you security teams and developers whatever they need to work together and to figure this stuff out because this is this is a world you're living in now there's not there's not a choice really if you want to do mm-hmm. this right to sit in these silos and everyone Correct. is playing gatekeeper to everyone else. There really needs yeah. to be fluidity is, is kind of the, the key. Yep. Well, yeah. And I mean, I think of, of security not being the gatekeeper, this is reminding me, Rita, of that conversation we were having with, with Fenton Ryan, also of Gartner. And, mm-hmm. you know, asking him about during the, the pandemic, how he's, he's seen sort of, you know, a bifurcation of what's happening with people's digital transformation efforts you know, some folks who've just kind of had pet projects and centers of excellence, but not really anything that that's meaningful change. Mm-hmm. Those are all getting shut down. And then folks who have been making progress are actually accelerating because now they're able to see how, oh, if we pull in this, this thing that was maybe going to take six months and we try to get it done in the next, you know, six weeks, yeah. we're yeah. going to realize those benefits faster and we need that now. And so, you know, when we pressed him on like, okay, well, that's, that's interesting. That makes sense. Tell us more about the people who've been doing the right things. And the first thing he said was the people who have been, have made progress are the ones that engaged security teams early and often and, and worked with them to Guy's point that, that you were, you know, recapping Derek is that, you know, it can't be a blocker. Security can't be a blocker. You need to engage security early and often. And then you really pave the way for being able to make more change. And that's where that's those are the folks that are doubling down and uh, and reaping some benefits. Um, if you can, if you can say that at all in these times, just to, to kind of jump off that product thinking um, also showed up in the report that I was looking at, uh, which is Apple optimization should be business-centric, continuous, and multi-platform. And this one is from, I'm going to probably butcher these names, but um, written by Thomas Klenecht and mm-hmm. Stefan van der Zijden. Uh, I believe that is correct. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, the Gartner titles, mm-hmm. they really know how to pack a mouthful uh, <laughs> into, those, into those titles. But... Um, it's like, I think they really figured out that like most people like don't really read past the title or past the first page bullet. So they structured <laughs> their reports in this way where it's like, if you just read the title, you kind of actually have like 80% of the point of the entire report. Like they're really just telling you like, this is how you should do it. Um, and if you're willing to actually read the next page you'll get a little bit more detail and if you read the whole report then you're like now an expert they're like newspaper so, um, editors without the space constraint <laughs> <laughs> right they got a little and they can put in some of their their graphics and you know this one like also touched on that that kind of that product mindset um and and the team structure because one of the things when you when you tease out the 
you know, it should be continuous. They, they sort of advocate for the creation of a modernization team. And I think this really flies in the face of a lot of convention, which is that app modernization, um, and this is in the report as well, where they talk about how past approaches to modernization have really failed in so many ways for a couple of reasons. One is they get treated as a project. Um, and so if, if they haven't properly scoped the project, then, you know, they get into it and then they don't, they don't get the outcomes that they're looking for. Um, they also talk about them failing because it's what I call the boil the ocean effect, where they're trying to take almost like a, an infrastructure or platform up approach to modernization, where it's like, we're going to sweep across and we're going to do everything that's running on this particular platform, right? Like, you know, this particular uh, web server, all of those are going to get updated. And it's a boil the ocean approach. And, you know, they're almost inevitably going to run out of money and resources, but they haven't then shown any value to the business. Everyone's just like, okay, great. You swapped out some stuff and, you know, you made, you know, you took away time from delivering new features. No one's really happy with it. Then that gets to the last point, which is that the modernization really needs to be driven around what is the business outcome? What is the, the capability that you're trying to add that some kind of tech debt is in the way of being able to deliver? And then you focus your whole modernization effort. Instead of looking broadly, you're focusing it on, ah, okay, in order to be able, like, here's a classic example is, you know, we want to be able to do some cool machine learning, blah, 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 on some of the data from this application. And it's like, well, great. Then you kind of need to really rethink how the data from this application is going to be able to flow through a machine learning image, uh, or uh, sorry, machine learning, um, you know, algorithm. And that is going to require probably modernizing and teasing apart parts of this application, particularly if it's a big monolithic application that's, you know, supporting a lot of other functions. So mm-hmm. classic example of, all right, we know we now have a North Star, which is we want to get to the point where we can add in, uh, you know, a, being able to call out to some machine learning API, you know, that some cloud provider has or adding some virtual agent, right? So there's a chat bot, something, right? Something that the business actually wants. And then you just map out everything that you need to modernize in order to get to that point. And you don't modernize any more than that. So I thought that that was a really interesting, um, you know, sort of approach and and thinking. Uh, But the other thing that that idea of like, hey, don't treat it like a project. To me, anytime you kind of like you folks are calling out the project approach, to me, the, the other side of that coin is, having a product approach. So he, there's actually a great diagram in the report uh, that that sort of illustrates three layers of, uh, let me see if it's, yeah, sort of three layers of, of how teams are organized um, across modernization platforms and product, the actual software development. And, and so to me, that you know, they're, they're kind of, it looks like this is maybe some graphic that was developed that supports a lot of different research because there's a big, big mm-hmm. red circle around the modernization team. And it, 
it resonated with me immediately because I think I was fresh off of learning about how this this European banking customer that that we'd been working with had wanted to do some really large scale modernization, and they they needed some help, but they 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 embraced this notion of we're going to need a team that's doing this and basically going from product team to product team, helping them do whatever refactoring was necessary. And they were really the in-house experts on modernization because uh, that expertise can then be brought again and again and again. And that helps you do this continuously, right? If you want something to get done, you make it someone's job. But what was interesting was under the cover, they to get this sort of team off the ground, they were bringing in um, uh, Tanzu, uh, uh, or sorry, VMware Pivotal Labs and the, the sort of the app modernization specialist there. They knew they needed to scale it over time, so they were also bringing in uh, Cognizant, uh, so a, you know, a large SI partner. But there were also people who were from, you know, a staff staffers from the bank who were on this team. And one thing that they they learned, to your point about kind of pride and identity, Rita, was that they they had to give this modernization team a, its own little brand um, and and name. So that every time they went in and engaged with a new, uh, a new you know software team that was building a different app, that they were like, okay, we're going to help you do some modernization. There wasn't kind of confusion about like, well, what do they say? What do they say? And who are the people who work here? It's like, nope, we're a team. We've got a team. <laughs> You're engaging the blah 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 team. And once they did that, they were able to actually move a lot faster and mm-hmm. help a lot more teams. But the the meta sort of observation was they embraced this continuous approach and they made it someone's job. And they, you know, they were able to supplement if, you know, you're starting that practice, know that there is a way to, you know, you don't have to form this team and, and hire all those people from day one. You can form that team and you can bring in, you know, uh, uh, help from, from consultants and whatnot to kind of help get it off the ground and over time evolve it. Uh, but anyways, it's uh, I, I love this report. I think it's a great one. I referred to it uh, in a couple of places in the app modernization 101 guide that is on mm-hmm. Intersect. Um, and uh, I think it's I think it's a must read for for anyone who's looking at modernization efforts. Um, yeah. So highly recommended. You know, one of the things that stuck about that stuck out for me in that report as well is um, thinking about modernizing business capabilities as opposed to apps. So starting, yeah. they, they really espouse this uh, outside in thinking, right? And once you take on this outside in thinking and business value thinking, then this this concept of, of uh, uh, business capabilities or modernizing business capabilities makes more sense. And then they talk about manage, managing those business capabilities, right? As products and services and um, you know, for their whole full, their, their, their full life cycle, so. Yeah, and I, I I will acknowledge that around the same time, because this this report or, or this update of the report um, was published on the fifteenth of August in twenty nineteen, and I think it's even in the same month, uh, Gartner Forrester also came out with a report about modernization. I think it was like modernized core apps for the cloud. Um, I think that's one of the the Bartoletti and John John Reimer. Uh, collaboration. So I was reading both of these right around the same time. And what's interesting is, 
you know, that they've got a different case for modernization in the Forrester Report. And in, in some ways, at first glance, you might say that there's like these these two pieces of guidance are, are in conflict because uh, Gartner is strongly advocating for like you need to have that business outcome, that business capability in mind. And then you touch whatever apps are, are needed in order to deliver that capability. And in the Forrester Report, they also kind of look at things and say, you know, some quick wins and benefits to be gained from steps like containerization. And so I think that sort of speaks to maybe more of the, the, the operational, the INO side of things where you're probably going to get some INO benefits from those types of, you know, hey, let's just try to containerize more of our applications. They're quick wins, but I think there's, I don't think that that approach is not valid. I just think that it's interesting to put them side by side and recognize like these are two different approaches that are going to yield some, you know, depending on where you focus is where you're going to get your your outcome. So depending on who's, who's driving the bus, who's really um, calling the shots of like, this is what we want to get out of it. Are we trying to get some operational benefits? Great. We can get some quick wins over here. Um, are we, but we have to try to keep that in mind that like, don't don't boil the ocean, right? Like, because you'll you'll just get bogged down. If it's really like, can we get some business capability out of it? Then you're probably going to take a different tack. Yeah, I think. I mean, there are people who would argue that you know containerization, let's say, is a, which by the way is a great segue to the uh, report that I'm talking about. But there, I think there are people that would argue that containerization is maybe step one, or you know, some early step in any modernization effort if you're going to modernize technology along with processes more broadly but right it, it, i mean it is if that's all you do that's it's it's there's it's not going to be the end of it's not going to modernize yeah. a whole lot in the end like you said it's a quick win you're going to get some some efficiency benefits maybe there's going to be some of that but it's 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 such a baby step along the way i think that you really need to embrace the it seems like you really need to embrace the whole modernization and then again up to the business level because again like it seems like so much of what ends up boil, what ends up filtering down to the application level and, and to the IT, some of the IT processes is, you know, the, the organization's culture overall. So, I mean, a very process driven, like, you know, heavily regulated, um, you know, whatever industry, like, I mean, I think if, when that starts boiling down into the application level, then, you know, all the containerization in the world isn't going to change the fact that <laughs> even some right. very slow processes and very, um, you know, honestly, kind of, you know, maybe just unhappy <laughs> people at the end of the day. So, yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting to think. And like, it depends. I think that comes back to that collaboration point, which is if your, your IO teams and your, your line of business folks, if they're collaborating well, I think there's a higher likelihood that that modernization can really focus on those business outcomes. If IO is really, really, truly working in a silo, then yep. they can get some of those quick, quick wins. They can, they can, you know, do things like containerization, but um, it's really also to me seems like that's probably symptomatic that they're, they're heavily siloed from their business counterparts because if they're spending their efforts on that, they're not really focused on yep. the business outcomes. Yeah. Uh, I always go I mean, back to the early days makes- of cloud computing where, you know, the real benefit of Amazon Web Services when it when it launched, I mean, God, a decade and a half ago now was, you know, one of the big pitches was you don't need to wait to provision a server. 
anymore. Right. So, so, so that yeah. was, that was the big hold. That was a big holdup. And that was what, you know, how people viewed, I think the INO teams a lot. And, and, and so now if containerization is only solving a slightly more modern version of that problem, it, it just seems yeah. like it's, you know, that's not going to be, like you said, that that's not a, a business um, changing shift probably. Yeah. 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 I mean, to that, to, to Dormain's last comment, I mean, th- th- again, Charlie talks about, uh, siloed efficiency metrics, right? How that those mm. are not useful, and talks mm. about rather talks about uh, metrics that are aligned to or KPIs aligned to business objectives, and that's how you know uh, INO can show its value. Oh, Rita, you just you know my trigger buttons when you bring up <laughs> metrics. Oh, <what? laughs> All right. Well, on that note. Uh, <laughs> Derek, you were saying that this 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 tees up a segue to uh, the report that you dug into. Yes, and another uh, really inspiring headline on this one says the uh, best practices to enable continuous delivery with containers and DevOps. Although it hit, oh. it hit a lot of buzzwords, so that's good. Um, but it's a buzzword salad. Great for that SEO. <laughs> exactly. I best practice best practices is one of those buzzwords. And who doesn't want like some best practices oh for sure you know but but yeah the thing that stuck out and then the, 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 i think the big thing that stuck out to me was is is that i mean it's kind of less about continuous delivery as in like how to set up your cicd pipelines and, and more yeah. about and more about just this process of again it's a lot of collaboration and the thing that really stuck out to me was viewing containers as as not like developers pushing new technology and i know but rather as a the type of technology that can help facilitate collaboration that can help both sides meet their meet their own goals and also shared objectives. So, I mean, and it was really this idea of like, you know, INO containers will help INO if they have some sort of established maturity around automation, they're going to help them take, it's going to help containers can help them take that to the next level. On the, and it's going to help, you know, as everyone gets comfortable working with this new, because the other thing they say is by 2023, so, you know, their prediction is that 70% of apps deployed in the cloud will use containers as a packaging mechanism. So if, if that's accurate, I don't know if that's existing apps or new apps or whatever the, you know, what apps we're talking about, but that's a significant number. And right. So, so you need to start thinking about this as it's just, I think the whole thing is you need to start thinking about containers, not as, not as a replacement for VM, not as this thing that developers like to work in that that's insecure or whatever. And more mm-hmm. as this, more as a, frankly, a technology that is going to enable you to do some of these bigger picture things that you want to do once everyone gets on board and their process is in place. And then the report goes on to lay out, you know, how would you lay, how would you build a product team? How would you build a platform? How would you build a DevOps team? How do you build a platform ops team? And, you know, depending on the maturity of the organization, you might have two teams. You might have dev and platform ops. You might have dev and DevOps and platform ops. It really all depends. And they might have slightly different roles and, and then INO is kind of hanging out, still maybe managing infrastructure and networking and, and kind of the underlying stuff that that all this that the your Kubernetes and all your container orchestration and all your container containerized components are running on top of. But yeah, it was, you know, again, it was just this idea of like think taking a technology and how how do you utilize that technology as as something that's going to help build and help you reach bigger goals. So again, containers, yep. great step one. And, you know, they can be very useful for doing, and I think for a VMware audience too, like, frankly, 
you know, the idea that that people like to think about containers as as a as a, as a replacement for a virtual machine, right? It's just not probably <laughs> the right way, the right way to think about it at all. And if if people yeah. are still viewing in that way, it's that needs to be shaken out of their head. Yeah, I mean, I think that's a great point of like use this as an opportunity to uh, reevaluate your team structure and those processes, right? The whole, like the, the Holy Trinity of people process and tech, like containers are a technology, but you know, when not paired with process changes or team structure mm-hmm. changes, like you're really just kind of doing the same thing, but with a slightly different format. Um, I mean, the key, the key that it seems like the crux of this, of the, 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 the nugget of this is that it's all about uh, continuous, um, continuous delivery, right? As the holy grail, if you will. And then how do DevOps and containers enable that holy grail? Yeah, but I, I think it's called continuous. Yeah, I mean, continue, but it's, it's, I mean, I read it kind of more as it's being about continuous everything <laughs> in the sense that... Yeah, continu- continuous modernization, right? Like, right. modernization needs to be continuous, as Domain says in the other report. In the sense that, like, you know, uh, security, right? I mean, one, you know, containers have pros and cons from the security level, right? But one of them, you know, one of the things that they require if you're going to do it right is continuously upgrading the components of uh, the application components, continuously upgrading the host OS, continuously. Yeah. You get the, the automation and the upgrades yeah. and everything has to be <laughs> coming. And, and your components are going to be updating. You know, if you're, using, if you're using a container, that's real. Like if you're building an application that's running across multiple containers using how, however many open source <laughs> projects, right? I mean, there's so much change happening at all those levels that if you're not plugged in and, and haven't figured out a way to automate the up, upgrades and patches and all this, like you, you, you fall behind real quickly. And I think that's, mm-hmm. that's part of it. So I was waiting for you to see automation. I feel like we've come full circle, right? Like here we are talking about automation and collaboration again. This, this is, is yeah, this is, this is probably a, a great place to tie it off. We've come full circle. As you said, that's when you tie the bow. Uh, you know, we'll put the links to each of these three reports. Um, you know, I'm a classroom learner, so I like listening to people gab about stuff and present things. And um, but every now and then you gotta you gotta hit the books and and actually read it. So <laughs> we'll include the links um, as well as links to some of the other uh, episodes and uh, and talks that we referred to that that kind of came to mind as we were all all reading these. So yeah. anyway, thanks uh, Rita and Derek for joining and, and sharing your your insights in this kind of uh, almost like book report style. Yeah. Episode. <laughs> thanks. That was really fun. Thanks for having yeah. me. Yeah. All right. Thank you. Thank you.